Parshas Noach. When we read about the generations destroyed in the Mubble, we understand that they were wicked people who are not worthy of our admiration. And the earth became corrupt before Elohim, and the earth was filled with violence, Noach. And therefore, Hashem obliterated every being that remained on the surface of the earth. The family of Cain, all of his descendants, were totally destroyed in the Mubble. Today there isn't a single human being who comes from Cain. We all come from the youngest brother, Chase. And so, with our hindsight knowledge, we look back and we unanimously condemn Cain and his seed. Of course we do, because the Torah condemns them. The verdict of history, the great flood that wiped them entirely off the face of the earth, was the decree of Hashem. And it confirms our opinion that Cain was worthy of being destroyed, and that only Noah and his family were deserving of remaining alive. However, it's important to realize that not everything that's written in the Pesukim was so viewed by the people of the time. What is stated in the Torah as, as, as a simple and accepted attitude is not necessarily what the people at that time thought. Of course, when we read the words so many years later, so in retrospect we agree with it. But actually in many cases the Torah is pointing out secrets that were not understood by people in those days. Very many things in the Torah were not accepted by the contemporaries when those things took place. Took place. Ancient news reports. And therefore, let's imagine that we were living in the time before the Mubble and we listened to what was going on then. Imagine that we're reading the news of the day with the Torah reports as if we're reading Lahavdil, an ancient newspaper. So we open up the Torah and we read about a person descended from Cain by the name of Lemech. And we're told that his wife Ada gave birth to a boy named Yaval. Now, the Torah stops to give us information about this Yaval because he accomplished great things. If there were newspaper in those days, so Yaval's name would be on the front page in headlines. What did he do? He was the father of those who dwell in tents and raised livestock. Bracious. Now, father doesn't mean that it was only his descendants who practiced it. We know that the descendants of Shase and even the descendants of Shem were in many cases nomad people who lived from raising livestock. The word avi, father, here doesn't mean that he was the progenitor, a physical father. It means that he was the inventor of the nomadic lifestyle of raising livestock. He introduced the society of Ohel Umikne to the world. Now, we have to understand how important that was in the history of the world. You know that in ancient, in ancient time cities were only a small part of humanity. Nomadic society, the spiritual heirs of Yaval, comprised a big part of the world's population. In some places, the Yoshve Ohel Mikne was the entire population. Huge nations lived wandering from pasture to pasture. And it was Yaval who instituted this great advancement of nomadic civilization to the world. Because before Yaval turned the world upside down with his innovations, where did people live? They chose the easiest way. They dug out holes in the sides of the mountains. In North Africa, there are many tribes who, lives, who, tribes who, lived in caves to this, who live in caves to this day. There's nothing savage in living in a cave. They have radios and televisions in their caves. And they're happy there. They wouldn't move out for anything because it's the cheapest place to live. There is a lot of conveniences there too. In the wintertime it's warm and in the summer it's cool. 
Only that Yabal understood that if you live in a cave, you cannot raise livestock successfully. Because when your sheep and cattle graze in the vicinity of the cave, and they finish all the grass where you are, so you have to move someplace else. But you can't take your cave with you. You're stuck. And that's why up until Yabal came along, people had only a few sheep. They couldn't afford to raise more. And then this great innovator, Yaval, came along and invented a few things. Methods and contrivances that made it possible to set up entirely new societies. First, he invented a portable home, a tent that you could fold together. To us, it seems simple. A collapsible tent doesn't, mean, doesn't seem to be a complicated matter at all. But you have to know that before anything exists, it requires genius for the first man to think about it. It was a very great step ahead for civilization. Now you could fold up your home, put it all on your back or on your camels and travel to where the grass is greener. Don't think it was nothing. It was more important than the invention of a telephone or radio. That's nothing compared to this. The tent was an epic making discovery, an invention of an entirely new way of life. When this portable home was invented, a new era dawned upon the world. The cave dwellers were now able to leave their caves and begin making a real living by taking up the nomadic way of life. Once you can move about, then you can make use of Hashem's great gift, great gift of grass. You don't have to do anything. It grows on its own, and it's the cheapest commodity available. And so you can raise up large herds of livestock. One cow is like a delicatessen store on hooves. You have 50 kinds of delicacies in one animal. You have a liver and you have lungs. If you know how to cook well, then lungs are a delicacy. And you have the hindquarters and you have the breasts. You have, in, you have every kind of meat you can wish for. If you look in the window of a butcher shop, so you see it's all arrayed in pans. It's appetizing just to look at. 50 different kinds of meat. And so, as people begin to make use of Yaval's invention, the quality of life improved. People were wealthier. They had more food than ever. And everybody's mouth was full of praises for this great benefactor named Yavel. Yavel was a great man in his day. Nobody looked down at him of those who brought the mubble onto the world. No, they praised Lemech and his son Yavel. They said how lucky he is to have such, a, such good children, such benefactors of mankind. And not only was he the Avi Yoshev Ohel, the inventor of the portable home, that you could move with you, with you to greener pastures. But he was also the Avi Mikne. That means that he spent many years studying the subject of breeding cattle. There are many ways of chokhba in breeding cattle. How to produce the finest herds. And Yaval went all in for it. And he didn't patent these secrets he learned. He gave over the wisdom he acquired to his generation. He introduced to the world how to breed fat, healthy cattle, quality cattle that would produce more meat per hoof. And because of Yaval's donation to his generation, he became great in the eyes of his fellow men. The world looked at Yaval the way the newspapers today would portray him, as great material benefactor to mankind, as the genius who was advancing society. Now Lemech had another son whose name was Yuval. Yuval brought happiness to the world. He was the father, the inventor of all those who hold the harp and the pipe. The kinur is a harp and the ugav is a form of flute. And these two include most musical instruments. Most musical instruments are either string instruments like harps, violins, or they are wind instruments into which you blow. 
Now we have to understand that Yuval put great effort into the study of this science. He thought about this matter for many years and he considered how sounds are produced by animals. And he began to think, perhaps we can duplicate these sounds using the same methods. The cricket, the cricket has a violin on its wings. If you study the cricket, how does it make its noise? It rubs its wings together and the vibration of these strings produce a chirping sound. The grasshopper too. It rubs its hind legs against its wings and the vibrations of the wing make noise. Yaval studied that and he used, Yuval studied that and he used that same system to create a violin. And then, He studied how other living things produce sounds by blowing through the vocal cords. And he applied these methods to mechanical things, to flutes, and to other wind instruments. And now the world had the enjoyment of music. Don't think it was a small thing. That it wasn't important. Suppose music didn't exist. Suppose instrument, suppose instrument music didn't exist. And now a man came along and bestowed this gift on the world. He would praise, we would praise him to no end. He would be lauded as a great inventor, a great innovator. He would be invited to the White House and be afforded every type of honor. By us as well. By the from Jews too. Today we're blessed with an overabundance of music. We have too much music. It's employed for every sort of foolishness, and so it's burying us alive. But in those days, when they heard the strains of music for the first time, it was a bomb on the souls of mankind. It gladdened the hearts of humanity. And people applied music to virtuous words. They didn't use music for silly things. All the garbage that you hear from the music stores when you pass by, like the Kuzari says, music was once a cliche-iris. To serve Hashem, and now it fell into the hands of slaves and servant girls. Of course, today people enjoy the music of slave and servant girls. You can teach yourself to enjoy anything. If you train yourself to say ooh and ah, when a child is banging on the garbage can lid, so after a while you start enjoying it. You can persuade yourself of any kind of foolishness. And people are doing it all the time. Don't you see people who enjoy booze? To most of us, liquor is distasteful. You can barely take the little bit that you have to take to make a chaim at a bar mitzvah or something. But when people practice up on it, so after a while, they go for it in a big way. So you see that even the most silly things can become beautiful in your eyes. But in those days, people weren't as silly as they are today. And therefore, music was a great blessing because it was, used, it was utilized properly. You can be sure that in those early days, people utilized the inventions of Yuval to, to aggrandize virtue. They spoke of heroes who lived noble and virtuous lives. They sang of the creation of the world. You could be sure that we would have been inspired by those songs. And therefore, the world was now a new place. It was recreated as a result of the contribution of Yuval. And everybody gave brachas, vehodas, to Yuval. They showered blessings on the great public benefactor for innovating the pleasures and benefits of musical instruments. Now Lamech had a third son. His second wife, Tzila, gave birth to Tuval Cain, who also accomplished something that had never been done before. He was the forger of cutting tools of copper and iron. Tuval Cain was the perfecter of the art of metallurgy, metallurgy. You know that metals are usually not found in the free state. 
They're bound up with minerals. And therefore, it was quite an achievement when people learned how to release the metals from the minerals. And it was Tuval Kayan who innovated the methods of extracting metals from ore. He showed them ways and means of extracting and then utilizing the metals. Not only copper, but iron too, which is more complicated to achieve, but more useful too. Now, metal is a great blessing for the world. Of course, it's been used as a curse to weapons and so on. But there's no question that HaKadosh Baruch Hu deposited great stores of metal in the surface of the earth as a blessing for mankind. Wherever we turn, we see metal. And Tuval Kayan's discovery of smelting, removing the metals, and then refining them by adding certain chemicals to give it a certain character, different processes for different metals. All this was a great discovery for the world. And it was this great man from the family of Cain who started this entire process. Now it states here also that the sister of Tuval Cain was Nama. Now whatever Chazal say about her, in addition to that, there's a plain Peshat. Nama means she was a pleasant person, that she had certain good qualities. Now it doesn't say what she invented, but you can be sure that there were certain things she introduced for the benefit of mankind. I cannot tell you the details because the Torah doesn't say that she did ex- what she did exactly. But she is listed with the inventors for a reason. I imagine that she was just as gifted as her brothers. And she instituted practices of etiquette, certain ways of speaking pleasantly. You know, people can be very kind-hearted, but they don't have the polish that causes other people to admire them. But Nama. Her name means pleasantness. And there is no question that she was well known in her time for her, for her innovations. And so we have here a whole family of benefactors to mankind. The descendants of Cain were considered the superior family on the stage of history. And even though there, were all, there was already a younger brother, Chase, from whom children were being born. But people said, what could Chase accomplish? What are we getting from him already? It's Cain's family that are the innovators. They are the ones who are a blessing for the world. They were the blessed family in the eyes of the world. It's very important to realize that they were the ones who were getting the credit for benefiting the world. Now, after a while, there appeared on the scene a new character whose name was Noah. Now, he certainly had qualities. He was a tzaddik tamim, Noah. So he certainly was a man of kindliness. There's no question that people had reasons to like him. He's a fine man, they said. We have nothing against righteous people. But what do we have from him? He's good for himself. Maybe he's good for his family too. But for the rest of mankind, he didn't help us in anything. We're not blaming him. But there's no reason to compliment him, to bless him, and to aggrandize him. We can be certain that Noah wasn't considered anything important by his generation. Nobody considered him a competitor in greatness, with the members of the family of Cain. People looked back at Cain's family, at Yuval, at Yaval, and Yuval, and Tuval Cain, and even at Naamah, with the greatest admiration. They spoke of them glowingly always, and they thought that if there was anyone who brought a blessing onto the world, it was they. They were the innovators, the producers, and their merits were mentioned and reiterated always. People spoke about them and told stories about them. They were regarded by everyone as the builders of the world and heroes of humanity. And so what could a man like Noah, no matter how righteous he may be, what can a man like that show to compete with the descendants of Cain? If we would search the newspapers of ancient times, we wouldn't find anything mentioned of Noah. 
Nobody would think of Noah as a candidate for the one who brought blessing to the world. In the mouths of mankind, he was not mentioned at all. But then along comes the Chumash and changes everything. The Torah comes along and turns everything upside down. And it tells us that the family of Cain was the one that caused the world not to be blessed, but to be destroyed. That's the verdict of the Torah. It's the Dvar Hashem. Nothing remained of them. They were all wiped off the face of the earth. No descendants of Yaval or Yuval or Tuval Cain were left alive. There wasn't enough merit in their inventions, in all the benefits they provided, that even one of them should be able to survive the mubble. Only Noach matzachen be'enei Hashem. It was Noach, the righteous man, the one whose importance for the world was disdained when compared to the innovators. He was the one who found favor in the eyes of Hashem. And when compared to the righteousness of Noah, all the great benefits and inventions of the family of Cain dwindled into nothing. It was only the righteous Noah who saved the world. You know, the ship that Noah built was very big. If you read Behold a People, a didactic history of scriptural times by Rav Avigdor Miller, page 19. You'll see over there the details, the dimensions of the dimensions of the Teva. Now the erections of such a huge ark required a very long time. A considerable part of Noah's, Noah's lifespan was consumed by the task of building the edifice that would save the world. Now HaKadosh Baruch Hu surely could have made some other stratagem to preserve all the living things without Noah. Hashem could have destroyed the sinners and preserved all the species in other ways, ways that would have seemed more natural to us. The entire mubble could have been obviated if Hashem would have sent a destruction on all those who deserve to be destroyed and spared the creatures and persons he wished to save. And that's a puzzle. What's this business of Noah building a tremendous ship and gathering together all the species of the world to be saved along with him? We have, to, we have to understand this as a great lesson, a very important lesson. This grand spectacle was planned by Hashem in order to proclaim forever the principle that would exist because of the virtuous man or men. It was Noah who preserved for us all that we have. He was the preserver of mankind, the true benefactor of the world. If we are here today, it's because of Noah. Everyone here is the seed of Noah. And that's why mankind, as well as all the beasts and fowl, were saved by means of Noah's ark, in order that we should forever understand that the rebirth of the world came because of the merit of Noah. When we see today a squirrel climbing a tree or a bird flying in the sky, we know it is derived from, from an inhabitant of the ark. Don't waste that opportunity. When you see a squirrel, you're being taught now that the, the, that the righteous individuals are so important in the eyes of Hashem that for their merit, the entire creation continues to live. Not only squirrels and sparrows, all men today are descendants of those that were preserved in the ark that Noah built. If you have your own life, your own body, it's all due to the righteous man. All the living testifies to this fundamental principle. That the man that walked with Hashem was the cause of all existence. He contributed the most important thing to the world. He contributed righteousness. That's what we're talking about tonight. The biggest gift you can give to the world is the gift of a righteous life. A life of achievement in Avaidas Hashem. That's how HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to understand the history of the world. Not only ancient history, but the history that is being made right now.
It's a lesson for always. It was intended as an eternal demonstration for all future generations that those who are serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they are the protectors of the world. That's what the Gemara in Baba Basra tells us. It says there that there was once a Nasi who wanted to build up the walls and fortifications of his city in order to protect those who dwelled there from marauders. And so he imposed a tax on all the inhabitants of the city. Now, Reish Lakish, you know, was an outspoken man. He's famous for speaking up. So Reish Lakish made a protest. He said that the Talmidei Chachamim don't need any Shmirah. What that means is that the learners of the town should be exempt from the fortification tax because they're defending the city anyhow. They're protecting the city by means of their avoidance Hashem. And that's how the halacha is. We don't put a tax for the fortifications on the Chachamim because their righteousness is a fortification for the city. Now, let's not make any error. We're always going to hire people to guard the city. Even if we, we would have a f- city full of sages, we would always hire policemen and guards. We'll have bars and bolts. It's common sense. And that's what the Torah wants us to do. There's no question that we must live according to natural processes. And we utilize fortifications and armies. David Amelech had a very good army. And he himself was an excellent soldier. And he went into battle not with the Tehillim alone. He carried a big battle mace to smash the heads of his enemies. Certainly Jews were good fighters, and they employed all weapons when they needed to. And still, that's HaKadosh, that, and still, that's HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, in Brochus, Talmidei Chachamim are marbim shalom ba'olam. They bring welfare and peace on the world because, of, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu reacts to their presence. The Nuturi Karta, the ones who are actually guarding the city, in Yushalmi Chagiga, and the Noachs, the people are of righteousness who find favor in Hashem's eyes. The Gemara Sanhedrin says, who is called an Apikoros? An Apikoros doesn't mean merely a disbeliever. It means somebody who doesn't agree with important Torah attitudes. So the Gemara gives an example. It says there, if he says, what benefit do we have from the learners of Torah? They learn for themselves. Now we're talking here about people who understand that it's a virtuous act to give away time for Torah. You could sleep more if you don't learn Torah. You could earn more money. Certainly, there are things you could have done with your time that would have benefited you in this world. And therefore, they appreciate that the people who study Torah are doing themselves a benefit. They're learning for themselves means that it's for their benefit. Yes, we agree to that. They're learning for their own benefit. There's big benefits there. But what do we get out of it? That's the question they're asking. And that's called an apikoros. I remember when I was a yeshiva boy in Europe. So the Jews, many times, used to call us names in the street. They used to call us parasites. That's how it was already in Europe. A yeshiva bachar was an object, was an object of scorn. They looked down at him and they told him so to his face. I'm sorry to say that in Europe, many Jews publicly scorn the yeshiva bachar. They called them names on the street, and one of their favorite epithets was parasites, because they were apikorsim. In their eyes, anyone who wasn't producing materially was worthless. That's how it used to be. My Ainehu Lun Robanon is a question that is asked by very many people, and those who don't ask it with their mouths are thinking it in their hearts. What do we get out of them? It's true. 
They say there are people in Yerushalayim who suffer poverty for the Torah. They have 14 children and they live in two rooms and are burdened down with debt because they are learning Torah all their lives. Righteousness is an ideal for them. Good for them. That's the nice man who says that. He says, I'm happy for them. And he even might support them as the objects of charity. But it's not because he understands that the world is benefiting from them. The merit of Sadiqim and that the merit of Sadiqim. And that's a terrible mistake. It's a corruption of character. A tzaddik is a very great benefit for you, for the, for the generation. The Gemarantanis tells of a basco, that's a minor form of prophecy, that was sent to reveal that the entire world received its sustenance in the merit of Rabbi Hanina ben Doisa. Who knows how many times we have had good suppers because of the tzaddikim? Who knows how many times you've made a good business deal or found a good job because of Sadiqim? Who knows? Who knows how many times tragedies, tragedies would have happened, families destroyed, communities uprooted, if not for the merit of the Sadiqim who have found favor in the eyes of Hashem? Who knows how many times you didn't get sick because of the righteousness of Sadiqim? And therefore, it's an important exercise of Avoidus Hashem to practice up loving the Sadiqim and to appreciate them immensely. We try to think along with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that means that if Noach Matzachen Be'enei Hashem, and it was enough to save the world, so we have to think like that too. You never thought about it. Well, you better start doing it now. That's what, that's what, it in, that's what it's in the Chumash for. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants you to know, are you appreciating what they do for the world? You think I wrote it? In the Chumash, just for a story, just to fill the space. So as you walk down the street in Williamsburg or down the street in Borough Park, you should suspect that maybe there are tzaddikim who are upholding the world. I'm sure there are tzaddikim there. There are righteous people there who are doing more for the world than all of the great and famous people who are looked up to and aggrandized. Wherever you walk in a Jewish kehila, you should think that thought. Maybe there are people here who are matzachen bene Hashem and they're upholding the world. The world today looks at the yeshiva bachar and they see that he's sitting all day in front of ancient texts discussing details of laws that seem archaic and outdated. The college boy, he's the good one, they think. He's the one who's doing something for the world. Maybe he'll be, maybe he'll be a doctor or an engineer. He'll build buildings and bridges. What a success, what righteousness. He'll be a Yavol. Maybe he'll be a Yuval or a Tuval Kayin, a blessing. That's how the world looks at it. But we have to go back to the ideal of the Torah. The ideal of Noach Matzachen Be'enei Hashem. It takes work. It takes effort to learn to appreciate what the righteous person does for the world. And therefore, right now, we have to get busy thinking that we love the Tzadikim and that we appreciate them to no end. That's the fundamental principle of what we're learning now. By means of the mubble and the rebirth of the, of the world in such an astonishing manner, whereby the human race, as well as all the species of animals, were saved by means of Noah's ark, the Torah teaches us the fundamental principle that it is righteousness that supports the world. If the world continues to have certain privileges, certain benefits, you must understand that it's because of the merit of those who incur the favor of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Noah's righteousness was what, the, was what gave the world its rebirth 
That's what the Torah wants to teach us. Noach matzachen be'ne Hashem. Noach found favor in the eyes of Hashem is the eternal lesson that the righteous ones, those who try to raise the banner of righteous living, of proper behavior, of being always mindful of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and walking in the ways of his Torah, these are the ones who bring blessing down upon the world. Have a wonderful Shabbos. And now, a vort on the Parsha from Rabbi Miller. Vayidaber Elokim el Noach lemor, tzei min ha-teva, Elohim spoke to Noach saying, Go forth from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Everybody knows that when Noach entered the Teva, that became his home for the duration of the Mabal. For a full year, Noach and his family were sealed up in a ship on the high waters waiting for the great flood to come to an end. And waiting is what they did. Over and over again, the Torah reiterates, and Noah waited some more. Noah. And he waited with anticipation even more, because as the days and weeks wore on, Noah began to long more and more eagerly for the great joy of walking on the dry land. He was a prisoner in that ark, and it wasn't easy at all. It was very uncomfortable to be confined for so long. And the thousands of animals didn't make it any easier. You know, the manure must have been piling up. Even if he did his best, he shoveled it into certain areas set aside for waste. But in such a confined space, no matter how much Noah did to relieve the tension of the cramped conditions, we can understand that it must have been very stifling and claustrophobic there. And then finally, the great day came. Noah removed the covering of the ark and saw the surface of the ground had dried completely. So what did Noah do? He burst open the door and said, Baruch Hashem, look, Yav Shaha'aretz, the land is dry. Chevra, let's go. No, that's not what happened. Noah didn't budge. He didn't move. He saw that the land had dried, but he continued to wait. He didn't leave until Vayedabel Elokim El Noah Lemur. And Hashem said to Noah, Go out from the ark. Only when he got permission to walk on the dry land, that's when Noah walked out and not before. And that permission is reiterated separately for each person in the teva with Noah. You, Noah, can walk out and your wife too. She can also walk out and your children and their wives too. For each one, explicit permission is needed. And what that means is that to walk on the face of the earth, we need permission. It's not Hefger. The earth, the land, it all belongs to Hashem. Tehillim. Only that. He gave us permission to walk on it. And that's one of the overlooked reasons for this long wait that Noah and his family endured. Hashem caused Noah to wait and then wait some more in order that when mankind would finally walk on dry land once again, they would feel even more realistically that they're walking on Hashem's land. And so, when Noah and his family finally set foot on dry land, they didn't mumble the bracha like we do. Baruch Hashem, Because... Are you the established that is because blessed are you that establishes the land above the waters? No. They went mashugal with happiness. Their hearts sang to Hashem in deepest gratitude for his permission to walk on land again. And that's the lesson for us. When we walk on the earth, 
we are doing so with his permission. He gives us the permission only with certain conditions. Certain places you can't walk. You can't walk into a movie theater, for example. That piece of territory wasn't given to you to walk on. All land is his, and we only walk on it under his conditions. And the most important condition is recognizing that it belongs to him. Because if you walk on this earth without recognizing the owner, so you're a trespasser. It's Hashem's property. Really, we should be paying a toll every block we walk. Imagine that on every corner there was a toll booth and you had to pay the toll man a dollar for walking on the pavement. And actually, that's how it is. Every block you walk is a gift from the owner who lets you walk on his earth. Every step is another opportunity to think. Baruch atah Hashem, Elokeinu melech haolam, al hamayim. With the same gratitude that Noah and his family felt when they descended from the Teva and walked on Hashem's dry land again. Zayga benched.